Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Sup, folks? Just a quick little update before this week's podcast episode begins that the audio quality will be a little bit less than optimal on my end of things because I accidentally left the mic on for Shadowplay. I had to update the GeForce experience and it turned all the settings that I had off on, so I did not realize that it recorded my voice thus making me sound like I'm speaking into a radio the entire time. It's passable, and I've had to do this a couple of times when we first started the podcast, so I do hope you guys can deal with it for this episode. I do apologize, and it won't be a problem in the future. But for now, I hope you guys enjoyed this awesome discussion with Carrick, and I'll catch you next week. Peace out. Salutations, everybody. It is Maddie here today with week 101 of the Ham Radio Podcast. And this is Carrick with ACG. Once again, no video on purpose, because I'm ugly. (laughs) Yeah, we're sorry, guys. We spent a good half hour, I think, trying <laughs> yeah. to fix that son of a bitch. Um, for those who are curious, OBS, for some reason, just was not cooperating with us. Um, you know, my webcam wasn't working, showing a black screen. So I'm thinking, oh, I'll set up the webcam on Windows Movie Maker. Do that. It's saying it's open in another program, which it wasn't. So then I'm thinking, okay, we'll open it on OBS, and I'll just put it there. Me and Carrick will use audio, but you guys get the video experience. Didn't work there. Instead, I got a red screen. Like, my entire program turned bright red. So, you know, before my computer set fire, we decided to pull the plug and instead just go with audio. Gremlins. Yeah, Yeah. I have no clue what happened there. Yeah, so by next week, we should be fine. But right now, things weren't working out. Uh, Lone isn't here this week. He's currently getting something with his apartment key card fixed. So, um... They're locking him out of all the places where the women are. They're like, exactly. Listen, we don't (laughs) stalker. No, I'm just joking. So we, we uh, sadly don't have him with us this week. Um, As always, if you guys want to become a part of the podcast, do consider uh, supporting the Patreon. And this week, we wanted to just reminisce on some of our favorite titles that maybe were a little underappreciated. Talk about backlogs in general, but we were just we've been playing a lot of old games lately. And so I thought that would be a good place to start with some hidden gems. You said you had a, a list of them that uh, you had yeah. not really mentioned on any other program. So I'm curious to see where you're starting with this one. Uh, I'll start with – so this is one of the situations like, yeah, prior to the podcast, we were talking about um, you know, what ones we've mentioned during podcasts and, and ones we haven't. And when I sat down, I realized there were two in particular. But the first one is Sanitarium. Mm-hmm. Do you ever play that? Point-and-click game where you're in, in an insane asylum. And then basically it's sort of like – just degenerates from there i've, I've heard the name it's on uh, good old games for like 10 bucks and man i'm telling you that game is fantastic it is mm. just from start to finish um like such a thick environment and and it's got typical point and click style you know gameplay i mean it's it's not super impressive when it comes to today's standards mm-hmm. but when it comes to when that came out 
holy shit, yeah. And to me, that is one of those hidden gems where I mention it, and if somebody's played it, usually they're like, oh my god, I haven't thought of that game. That game is amazing. So, and it, it looks crazy, too. You play as a character with, like, a head wrap, you know, like, your head wrapped in bandages ah. the entire time in a doctor's, or in a, the, you know, this, the gown. It's, it's out there. different. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it sounds more very. like psychological horror in a way. It is. It is. It's very, like, what exactly is going on. But it's not, you know, we've talked about this before, because I know you like the, what's the horror game? The uh, Fear, Something Within? Um, uh, the Evil Within. Yeah, which, by the way, I don't know if you heard, but there was a leak that number yeah, two is we, being made. Yeah, we talked about that last week. I'm excited for that. Yeah, so um, it doesn't have that kind of, it's not that kind of game. It's more of a European-American style horror, mm-hmm. where it's just, you know, mental stuff. But it's not, you know how each sort of nation has their own horror and, and yeah, their base yeah. from from their, from whatever is in their past. So, yeah, very good game. Reminds me of... Uh... What's the game? It was on the PS4 and the Vita. I think it was called, like, The Lone Survivor or something along those lines. It's something Survivor. I think that's what it was called. And it was a, a 2D side-scroller, mm-hmm. very much psychological horror, uh, designed to be creepy. I never found it creepy, mainly because it was 2D. Uh, that just might be me. But the way you're right. describing it sounds like that. I'm sure someone in the comments will sound off with the, the game's proper name, but... Um, I, I can't remember it, but that what you're talking about sounds very uh, reminiscent of that. <clears throat> I have a good one though. Here's one I've actually never mentioned before. Do you do you uh, have you ever played Scribble Knots Unlimited? No. Oh man. <laughs> so what Scribble Knots is is this game where you? I mean, they have a couple of spinoffs. I think they had like a Batman one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the point is to. Someone gives you a problem. They're like, you know, oh, my God. We'll say hypothetically, oh, my God, there's a fire. I need to put out this fire. What do I do? And then it gives you a text box. And the game has, like, hundreds of objects you can use with each of their own purpose. And so you sit there and you think, what could I use to put out this fire? So you type in hose, for example. And then all of a sudden a fire hose appears. And you use that to take out the fire. It's like, oh, but there's a kitten in the tree. Then you type in ladder. I mean, it's a lot more complex than that. You get a lot more creative with it. That's a very bare bones example. But uh, (laughs) I just, I love that type of idea so much because the game is as expansive as your mind. It does start off that basic though. You know, the first like 20 minutes. Tutorial. Yeah, it's to give you an idea of like, okay, you think it, you type it. it, It's in the game. Um, But you can get like really wild with it because I do remember... Um, there was like one point uh, that you could type in like a superhero and he'd come in and, and save someone, for example. <laughs> it, it, it's so wild. And I haven't played it in years. I'm looking right now. Last time I played it was summer of 2013. But, oh, damn. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. But I, I finally look back on that as a, a series that has not really, as far as I know, has not gotten much attention. But, I mean, it was just, it was so fun. It was so different. And uh, just the, the premise behind it. It has an art style... Similar to those, uh, which is another hidden gem. Do you remember Drawn to Life? Uh, oh, yeah. 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 That. It had that similar art style. But uh, Drawn to Life as a kid, that was the shit. Um, you know, creating your so, own weapons and stuff. This Scribblenauts game, what's it on? What what console? Uh, I have it on PC. Oh, gotcha. I think it's available for other systems as well. I'll have well. to check that out. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very different. But like I said, it's reminiscent of Drawn to Life where they're like, 
oh man, you need a weapon to defeat this specific enemy. Draw an X, and and you know you could draw a fucking dick for all the game cares. It, it's it's just registering you're drawing something, but it, it's about as expansive as your imagination, and it's just the fun of getting creative with it that I I do appreciate. I'll admit uh, that you know it can get a bit redundant if you keep putting time into it and you know you keep solving all these puzzles that you might want something a little more refreshing, but it's just, it's very different for the, the types of games that are out nowadays where it's always that action adventure, that first person, that open right. world role playing, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. You can sort of feel the sameness sometimes. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely, that's the thing. That's why I wanted to talk about this this week is cause I don't know about you. I get this open world fatigue. Sometimes it seems like every game is trying to be open world RPG. Every oh no, I agree. Yeah. Game. yeah. And, uh, even, uh, you know, and I'll get into this game in a little bit, but even Token in 2, I've been playing that, and even that's an open-world game now. It's a Monster Hunter game, for God's sakes. And it's, like, quote, open-world. Uh, really, all this is, subs, you know, making subsections of its entire world into levels, and you mm-hmm. go and hunt in those areas. It makes for a more diversified experience, but point being is that it gets so repetitive. It's like the... I always compare it to when Call of Duty was just constantly doing World War II shooters and then Medal right. of Honor stepped in. It's like everyone's <laughs> Medal doing... Medal of Duty. <laughs> yeah, everyone's doing these fucking World War shooters. It's like, we need something new. And it's like, I get why developers are doing open world games, because you got more technology you can make the broader game. But sometimes I bring in a question, is like, is broader better? Uh, I think Bioware is a good example of that. You know, they started making less focused titles, and I think they lost a lot of their hardcore fans because of it. I'm not referring to Andromeda, by the way, people, because I'm not done with it as we record this on Friday. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know if you agree with that or not. Just, I feel sometimes the, the, the vision can be too broad, and it, it might just corrupt. And I wonder if they just do open world because it sells now, or if, I, they, if they do open world because they actually have a vision for it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's both, in all honesty. But I think um, I think past focus is sort of future vision. So in the past, if the focus has been open world and you've seen some successes, then your future possibilities when you sit down with the development team and start talking about creating a game is going to hinge on your own experiences, the things that you've liked, disliked, whatever. And it, there's a chance, a higher chance, of talking about open world now than there was in the past. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, like you, you said, hardware-wise, you know, and ability and power wise, we are at a level where where we can see some of these things. And talking to the developers that I do, one of the things they always mention is the memory size is much is much larger here. Mm-hmm. And that memory allows for more expansive worlds, regardless of what you're doing in them, which I think you and I understand are two different things. <laughs> a, yeah. a game world can be massive and it can be fairly redundant. So, yeah, uh, matter of fact, it's it's strange that you mention this because this is sort of a, a different discussion than than I envisioned because of, of how we're talking about games, but I'm actually getting the Fat Shark guys as well as the person who's making Ashen for the Xbox One exclusive, mm-hmm. um, the Zelda-style game. We're going to do a big video, and it's all going to be about the sense of discovery in open-world games versus just running around. And, yeah. and, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely. And, and a lot of developers do. It's just... It, and then that hinges on what sells so like even if they know all this and they see the same pitfalls you and i do it sells comes up in the discussion as well mm-hmm. yeah because i agree with that <clears throat> that sense of discovery it differs in lots of titles where you'll right. have bethesda game studios type discovery where 
you'll see that little thing in the distance, you'll see a marker on your map, you know, and each marker is usually generally distinct from one another, um, where you'll be like, oh, oh man, that's a cave, you know, what could be in there, is there treasure, whatever, and uh, that sense of discovery, I think, I've always found Bethesda Game Studios uh, type of open world creation, I've just, I've always found it the most compelling. Uh, the one that's actually rivaled it the most in recent memory has been Horizon Zero Dawn. You know, they right. had a different type of discovery, though. It was just that that world, that universe to me is so fascinating. It's so familiar yet different that I would see a large construct or a camp and I just want to explore it because it looked cool, not because I was thinking of like what I could get out of it as a player. And so I appreciate that type of discovery, which I think could relate to another recent example is uh, Breath of the Wild. I, I know that is very based off of like player reward and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I find myself really enjoying the game because, uh, you know, we actually haven't really talked about this game that much, you and I. Um, I told you how I was like, dude, I love the side content in this game. And you were like, what? How? And, and for me, it was uh, that moment I saw this cool looking ice, this, you know, snow peaked mountain. I was thinking, mm-hmm. like, I wonder what's up top. You know, I, I just thought of Skyrim. I was like, there's always something at the top of the mountain. And so, you know, I go through this brutal journey trying to survive the cold, creating fires, uh, you know, making a torch, and hiking my way up to the top of this mountain and finding that there's a shrine up here. And this shrine is guarded by this snake-like dragon creature. I'm sure there's a specific Zelda name for it. Right. Uh, but And then it turns into this, like, awestruck boss fight where, um, you know, he didn't have a health bar or anything, but uh, he was, like, poisoned by uh, the Calamity Ganon or whatever. And to free him, I had to destroy the Calamity Ganon on him. So I'm taking out my bow, and I'm shooting him, and he flies away. So I'm at the top of the mountain. So the game almost built the world space so intelligently where now I had to soar down the mountain, and I landed on almost another mountain peak, and I started shooting all of them off from him there. Uh, especially because the game has the mechanic where when you're in midair, it's a slow-mo shot. So, like, it, it was just this really unique and dynamic moment. So there's also that sense of discovery that I really appreciate, where you can see the forethought that, like, okay, they're going to encounter this dragon, they're going to get into a fight, they're going to chase it down. So I'm literally flying extreme distances across this wide-open space uh, to take this thing down, and when you finally free it, it unlocks a... a dungeon which gives you a secret weapon as well as like a of course the heart stone and stuff so for me that type of discovery is also really um cool where it's it's just about wandering which i think you could tie the last two examples i gave together yeah i mean and also when you look at games like this like for example we both like skyrim most bethesda games um Mm -hmm. we both like zelda to to varying degrees and and other open world titles what you, you always find out when you talk to developers is, is what, what matters is, you know, really depth and detail for your end result. So, for example, a Skyrim game has many small areas that you go to and you encounter something and, and, and you move on, right? There's, there's just hundreds of icons. And then a Zelda may have you travel this arduous journey and then you have a very complex situation at the end. And so those are the two different types that you have. And then you have everything in between. And mm-hmm. so it, it becomes about, like, what, how does the game set up the journey, and how does it reward you? And that sort of becomes the overall theme of the game and, and how it handles open world. Because, in a way, Horizon's between the two. And yeah. what's funny to me is if you were to write down how Zelda delivers its open world, uh, Grand Theft Auto, 
Horizon and Bioware, I could tell you without a shadow of a doubt who, what game you were talking about, even if you just wrote it in generic uh, explanations. I mean, if you look at Bioware, every fucking game is a hub world style. Yeah. Every game from Bi- Bioware, it is it's it's not only their DNA, it is it's past that. It's it's their soul. It will it that is just their shit now. And so you have that, right? But then you have Zelda, which is a completely different style, and then you have Horizon, which is a different style, and you have a GTA game, which is a different style. And they all handle it differently, but I think like for you, I could tell you were gonna like Zelda. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much from from the moment you, they started talking about the game. I was like, okay, he'll he'll like it regardless. You know, there might be some issues here and there. But I, I think that's because you also are a big fan of those RPGs as well. And sometimes I think that you, you're, you're a little bit more of a fan of JRPGs than I am. And so <laughs> yeah, I think, probably. yeah. And so I think that I think that Zelda slants slightly towards that as well mm-hmm. um, in, in, in specific instances. And yeah, I mean, those are all good examples of, of like really unique open worlds that are all different. But I think what happens when you talk about fatigue is that the fatigue for me is familiarity. They both start with F and so does fuck. And that's what I was telling somebody in a prior podcast. I'm like, at some point I do, I just, I'm playing an open world game and I say fuck out loud. Like fuck, I know exactly what's coming. I know exactly what's around this corner. And luckily we have some devs who are trying some different stuff. I think dark souls has helped because difficulty does adjust games. And I think Zelda with its slightly harder difficulty as well. You know, that'd be a little Mm -hmm. refreshing, you know, 3d platforming. Uh, because I think why Bioware takes that hub route is because it, it's broad in idea. You know, you can make these bigger planets, but Bioware is best when they focus down. And even that applies in Andromeda. It, it's almost depressing. Where like when they sit down and say, you know what, we're going to tell you a fucking story here. You are not allowed to leave this area. We're going to do this. It gets so much better. And then they let you go and, and it becomes open and, and there's a lot of little objectives here and there. Um, but yeah, my other issue, though, is that every game nowadays is it a, quote, RPG. And I've realized that term has become, in my oh, opinion... Oh, it's watered down. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I was just about to say that. So yeah. fucking watered down. It, It's like, if it's got a skill set, if it's got, oh, you can increase your strength, it's an RPG. It's like, I look at now, um, I think The Witcher is a good example with choice and consequence as a, a AAA game. But I, I mainly look at... Uh, Divinity Original Sin as a, uh, you know, because I haven't played uh, Pillars of Eternity or um, Tyranny. Tyranny, yeah. I haven't played those games yet to, to really weigh in on them, but for my personal experience, Divinity Original Sin is like my my idea of an RPG. Like, you can make choices. They have consequence. You can be good or bad. You can build your character in many ways. Role-playing is truly a thing where you can really get into who your character is. That's what I value, and I, I look around... Like, it kind of bothers me in the sense where I look at, uh, I haven't played it yet, but on the outside looking in, you can correct me if I'm wrong, like Nier Automata, or Automata, I'm sorry. Um, I look at that, and it's like, that's an action game in an open world. You know, where's the role playing there? Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I agree. It's It's any stat. It's any stat. As long as a stat shows up, they can say it's role playing, but they don't understand that it's R-O-L-L and not R-O-L-E. And that's the type of role that's occurring is and, and it does for some of us like you and me, it pushes us slightly away. But it's funny you mentioned Divinity Original Sin, because while I liked that, one of my hidden gems is Divine Divinity, which is okay. the original and yeah, Divine Divinity. 
holy shit. It easily my favorite of the Diablo style, like, okay. you know, RPG action slash. Like last time I looked at how they titled it, there was like 85 words for, for this one style of game. Like the genre has become so <laughs> like a large when it when it's explained. But Divinity or Divinity Original Sin is great and I love it and I think that it's really shown what you can do when you sequelize correctly and you understand how to move forward. But man, Divine Divinity for me, total hidden gem. Like if somebody So can, it doesn't can, play like the the older ones, it's not strategy focused, it's more of a beat 'em up kind oh, of Oh yeah, it's 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 more of Diablo. Oh wow. It's okay. it's it is I, Diablo. I, I mean that series roots to yeah. be that. Sacred Sacred uh, play came around the same time the original Sacred and um, Man, but oh, that series is transformed. <laughs> oh, dude, it's Holy and people shit. got so mad at me because I was like the new ones. I'm all this is not it's not really attracting me like the original D- D- Divinity Original Sin is still somewhat connected, um, but there's less role playing in Divine Divinity. It's a little bit more Diablo style, mm-hmm. and then and then in, in Divinity Original Sin we had more of that RPG and 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 so. It can go both ways. You know, new games don't necessarily mean they're going to be better or, or have more because, you know, it just depends on, on what people are making. But, yeah, Divine Divinity, if somebody ever has 10 bucks, fuck. That game, it's fantastic, man. I mean, it's ludicrous how good that game is. It's also one of the first games I've ever played where they give you teleport stones. So, like, you put a stone down and then you put a stone somewhere else and you can teleport between the two, right? Mm-hmm. But what is crazy is it doesn't give you a warning if like you've left one behind. So one time I, I only had one teleport stone. So the entire games in the entire way I played changed because I couldn't use the teleport stone to get out of dungeons anymore because it would go from dungeon to dungeon. So <laughs> I'd left it in an old dungeon that was like the level 11, you know, where you're like, fuck, I don't want to have to fight all these tough guys just to get this teleport stone. But if I put the teleport stone anywhere else in the game world and use it, boom, I'm in the hard part of the dungeon. Mm-hmm. And it, it was sort of let, it was hands off. It was like, Merry Christmas, motherfucker. You know, yeah. you better you better you better prepare yourself. And well, that's I what I that. value uh, in Divinity Original Sin while we're talking about that is is just as you said, I like in a game when they let me just make my mistake and and go back and, and right. redo it. You know, if I die, it's okay. If I fuck up, it's okay. That's how you learn. Not if you just guide me through and have me perfectionist run the whole fucking game in one try. It's good to mess up and and try again, and that's what I really value about that game. Is there are, I wouldn't say fail states, uh, as much as um, points where you know you're gonna walk into a death, but you try anyway. Like you know you'll you'll encounter, uh, there's one part in the game you'll encounter like a trio of black knights, and holy shit, they are so powerful. They are. Yeah. Um, but you can kill them, which I managed to. But it will likely decimate your entire party, and you will need right. to go back and get resurrect scrolls. Uh, because, you know, but it's that risk and reward. You get really good loot from them. I think you get like obsidian bars that you can use to make new weapons. Um, you know, it, it's a trade-off, and I like that in Divinity Original Sin Two. I have a video coming out on it, uh, which will be on Monday, because I got to play that at PAX East. Oh, cool! And, and yeah, dude, I'm so excited for that. Yeah. And they there's a part right in the beginning where you encounter a, a Templar and I think um some other woman, I think she was a wizard, and you know, they're they're looking for the source hunters or the source something. I, I didn't really I couldn't pay attention to the plot and what was happening because it was so loud and I didn't have right. headphones and I was talking to Dev. 
But, um, you know, point being is that these people were looking for this crashed ship that you came off of, and you can lie to them and send them out on a a pointless journey. You can fight them and try to kill them there. They'll kill you. You know, you were level one, they're level three. But you can still try. And that's the thing is that I like that the game knows, like, okay, you're going to try, you're going to die here. But you can still do it because that makes sense that you can at least try to kill them and fail. Because in context, it's not like, uh, for example, Mass Effect were... Um, you, you really can't tell someone all that often to fuck themselves. And, uh, I've been saying that for a while lately. It's like, I just want a game where I can just as easily say, we're here to help as I can say, go fuck yourself. I don't care what happens to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, I think, I thought Andromeda had the perfect setup for that. I could show up to this damn galaxy and be the biggest dick. Uh, but they don't really let you do that. You know, it's like you, you encounter... Uh, the, the Krogans, and, and you're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're here to help. We want to we reunite. Or, you know, they would be really awesome. You could say, oh, to be honest, you guys are pieces of shit anyway. I don't really care. Uh, but the game I, doesn't let you. I think that's also a distinct look at the lack of Renegade Paragon. And I that's know what that I'm they... Saying. I know yeah, that I, it shoehorns you, but I'd rather it worked good better. and bad than yeah. a, a four-tone good guy system. Well, and you were talking about, you know, there's not a lot of fail states in games, which is something I discuss a lot of times in reviews where like something just, for example, Horizon, uh, Forza Horizon 3, where if you play it on the easier difficulties, the enemy, they'll lose on purpose. The the racers will lose on purpose. And, And I don't like that. Like, so I want fail states if possible. But when talking to developers, one of the things that they mention is the fact that while raising the difficulty Dark Souls style, right? It, that works because what happens is you have two types of complaints and, and issues. One, you have the complaint of the person saying it's too hard, and you have a person who will read that and go, get better. Yeah. That removes the developer from that discussion. It removes the developer from worrying. The other is a person says, this is unfair. The developer looks and says, oh, you're right, and fixes it. The issue you're talking about and the issue that I want, that we both want, is fail states not just in the difficulty of ABBA, but the difficulty of choice, narrative, uh, you know, the form and function of discussion, uh, diplomacy, whatever it may be in whatever game. And the fact is, is that when you talk to developers, there is a nervousness on their part that people will just rebel against that. They will just be like, I don't like that I can talk myself into a corner because I can't. It's not as one two. I can say, oh, I hit a at the wrong time. But it's very difficult to look back at a discussion and go, where did this go wrong? And if you deal in business and you talk to people for, um, uh, for you know, when some dispute resolution, mm-hmm. one of the things people absolutely hate to do is discuss where something went wrong. It, 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 humans don't like doing that. And so I think a lot of developers are like, fuck it. We don't want to get into this. We're just going to make it hard, you know, controller wise versus hard, really choice and discussion wise. And I think that there's a ton of space where somebody could step forward. Bioware was who I hoped. But somebody could step forward and be like, you know what? We're just unleashing the shit on this. We're just, yeah, you can, you can talk yourself into a corner. We're going to allow that. Um, it's just more human, though. That's the thing. It is. It, it, People it do it all the time. Exactly. I was going to say, it just <laughs> com- makes complete sense yeah. when a game lets that happen. Um, yeah, it's I, I it's almost crazy. think there's a, a sense of, uh, like, the disbelief is broken at that point where you're, you're immersed and then it's like, I want to say to this guy, like, you know, you, I'm not trying to spoil too much of Mass Effect, but you meet the uh, outpost leader for the Krogan, and uh, I won't say who or, or what it's called, 
but uh, she's very brash and rude. Yeah. And and you literally <laughs> only can appease to her and be right. fucking nice. And it's like, I wanted to tell her, go suck a fucking dick, get out of my face. How about that? And you couldn't. You and, know what's... Oh, go ahead. No, that's all. I was, just, I was ranting a little bit because I know some people are like, well, I like to play as a good guy. I get that. It's just having the option. I, I think there's also a point that... Um, and this is a small percentage, but I, I think all of us at one point in time have done a role-playing game together with a friend in a room, and you're just yucking it up as you make like the worst possible decisions for every oh, moment. Oh, dude, yeah. And, yeah. and those are some of the best moments when you're they gaming. They are the best. They yeah. are the best, they're, yeah, they're without funny. a shadow of a doubt. Um, it, it, it's funny you mention that because I do want to tell people, you know, there are some games that do this well. Funny enough, Obsidian, Alpha Protocol... Alpha Protocol is one of those games where every choice hurts. And I have rarely seen a game that ballsy. Uh, there are some specific stuff without ruining it for people that will blow your mind when you're making choices in that game. I still remember making a choice and just sitting back and going, holy fuck, really? Like, <laughs> did that just happen? Because they, I'll just say this. The game doesn't have a problem with killing people. Ooh. And it doesn't matter where they are in the story. It's sort of like a you know, Quentin Tarantino style thing where you're just yeah. like, we're not 100% sure who is safe. And uh, that Obsidian, I think, is a company that still pushes for that. Tyranny allows you to somewhat be the bad guy, but it's more of a f- empire in Star in Star Wars bad guy where okay. there's some. It, it, it's not chaotic evil, you know. It's lawful evil, which in some ways to some people is okay. So it's it's not as uh, free as you and I are talking about, mm-hmm. but it, it, it is possible. It is possible. And I can't wait to see it. Uh, like I, I would love to see an obsidian or somebody like that turn around and say, you know, I mean, you don't have to make somebody homicidal, right. To be yeah. evil. You do not have to do that. Players are already homicidal. Let's remove that from the equation. <laughs> we already go into an area and we fucking do negotiations by sword point. So that's already taken care of. Let the discussion sort of flower out from that action. And and a lot of people just don't want to do it. Yeah, I don't... I, it just... It always baffles me. I have another one. Go for it. Saints Row. Saints Row. You think Saints, Saints Row? Are you talking about oh. the first one? Yes, the first oh, one. Okay. So, dude... Uh, yeah, which a lot is of a, people got in around two or three, I think. Around two or three. I think that's because it was also a 360 exclusive for the first mm. one, if, if I remember right. But, Vaguely. dude, Saints Row... Man, so, you know, GTA is great and everything. And so you have this game that comes along and people are like, ah, it's going to be a copy, which it was. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, it was. But holy shit was the first one hilariously. F- I mean, it was it was so over the top and so different because at that point, GTA had lost a little bit of its fun factor. It had gone a little serious. And and Saints Row was like, it, they hadn't gone too far. They didn't have dildo bats yet. Right. So you weren't to dildo bats and you also weren't laughing it up in in GTA. And so to me, Saints Row one is a hidden gem because a lot of people I talked to, just like you, they got in two, three, four. Um, Yeah, I started. Oh, my God. The first Saints Row. I still remember seeing my character's face and having it and, and, and going, oh, I don't have to play Nico because I can make my own guy. And and seeing this, I had a 400 pound tubby you know, Mexican wrestling wrestler looking dude, the Lucha Libre paint. And it was just, it was so fucking fun. I love every freckle bitches, the, uh, <laughs> the food place, just that kind of shit cracked me up. So to me, that's a hidden gem, even though I get that the series later has been, you know, fairly popular. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've liked how the series has evolved personally, because I think they literally 
took the feedback to heart in probably the best way right. possible. Like, oh, you're GTA club. And they're like, hold my beer. Hold on. I got something yes. for you. Exactly. And, and, and they make you a fucking yet. superhero with the dildo yep. bat, as you said. Uh, you know, you're the president Dude, of the United the States. Zombie. The zombie, if you pick the zombie voice in four, sorry for interrupting. I just have no, to say this. If you, if you pick the zombie voice in, uh, in four, he will sing to the radio as a zombie. So you'll be driving and it'll be all, and I mean, I'm fucking sitting there just, and I'm not saying the game's amazing, but I'm sitting there just laughing my ass off going, who would have thought of doing that? Yeah, like, exactly. You got to think of like the round table discussion, like, okay, yeah. let's, put, let's put a zombie voice in. What? Yeah, exactly. Let's make him sing while he's listening to the radio. Wait, you just stroke genius right there. Hold on. Yeah, it's, it's great. So yeah, for me, definitely sort of a hidden, hidden gem. Well, while we're talking about crime shooters in an open world that are hidden gems, mine would be Sleeping Dogs. For oh, sure, right. yeah. I, I have I have been telling people since the day that game came out, play the fucking game. I I mean the, the way the series ended up is a damn shame because it went to an MMO Triad Wars. It did not do well so at all. Weird. Yeah, very weird design decision um, because the series wasn't popular enough to really get the support for an MMO. And then uh, the developer United Front Games went under. So. Uh, the chances of that series continuing are are pretty low right now, but the first one not I'm, it's not even oh it showed potential it was a damn good game as far as I'm concerned and I, oh, I think a lot of people yeah. agreed um, it was the first crime open world game I, I'd even go to the lengths of saying like outside of GTA Five it's the first one I really gave a shit about um, that told a compelling story it had well written characters oh my god the voice acting in that game was so good. Um, it, 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 it was in a different location compared to other open world games uh, that had that you know true crime look to it. Um, I think it was supposed to be true crime or something like it, that. It, it was because actually true crime's on my list of oh. hidden gems because <laughs> yeah. true true crime's before that. But yes, it was supposed to be a true crime and then weird shit happened and it turned yeah, into I mean, a it, better game. Obviously. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it worked out. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because you know, Sleeping Dogs just. It's very different because for those who haven't played it, it's not just the third-person shooting. Um, it's a lot of kung fu combat. It's really brutal because the big focus of their combat is environmental kills. So you'll shove someone's fucking head in a in an air conditioning unit or you'll literally open the car door, kick their head in, <laughs> and, and yeah. slam the car door a solid five times, uh, throwing someone in the phone booth, hitting them with the phone, kicking them in the chest while they're in there. Uh, the sound design for that game's combat is exquisite. That, it's one of the most satisfying uh, combat systems because of its sound. You know, the animation work is great, but just what you hear, that feedback, is, is so empowering. And Yeah, that game is fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I cannot recommend it enough. It does have a, a little bit of uh, typical overworld activities where right. um you know you, you'll go to a, a crime area you'll fight a bunch of enemies and you know that that's kind of the point of it but you know it it was just especially at its time and i i replayed it uh, i want to say last year early last mm-hmm. year uh, it still holds up well um not as well but at the time it came out it was very different um you know you could go to a karate school i think it was and, and learn yeah. new moves uh, it was right across the street from your apartment it was like I said. It was just it was very different for its time, and it nailed something. You just spoke about something that I have bitched about from the Mass Effect series, which still which tried to fix it in Andromeda, but I still think Sleeping Dogs did it better. Which is your home pad. So in the original Mass Effect games, when you're on your spaceships, 
your your room has almost nothing you can do, right? Mm-hmm. You've got some ship models. And I had always been like, why can't I play music through an MP3 player from my 360? Why can't I stargaze? Why can't you know? And so the new one, Andromeda, tried to do some of that. It's bigger, it's more spacious, but you really can't do much. But in Sleeping Dogs, you have your apartment and your shit's hanging up, and you go home and it, like. There's a, yeah. just a little bit more of a grounded feeling. Yeah, changing in, in, your outfit, using mm-hmm. the TV for the police investigations. It just feels more. It, 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 it even though it does have the issues you talked about with open world itis in some ways, it, it still feels more grounded because it does have a home base that makes a little sense and and feels yeah. a little real. I mean, part of what lends its strength to me was that. Uh, I played it when there wasn't that open world itis, when it wasn't like right, every game right. at least was, you know. So this is when it was on the PS3 and 360. Um, the open worlds weren't as common, and uh, because of that, it was a lot more enjoyable because you know it, at that point it was like let's go an open world game, not like oh another open world game. Okay, I mean, I, I look at my review playlist, man, and, and almost every game I have played has been open world or open hub which i'm not complaining i like open hub now i I, i'm not saying i don't like open world but it's just like we've talked about earlier the fatigue set in where i'd rather a hub space uh with like the dishonored level of focus yep yeah um rather than another open world game with your collectibles side quests you know it's god enough you know another title you you reminded me of it so i'm gonna tell the truth i did not have this written down but blew me away when it was played uh, and i know people are not going to like this game but punisher for the ps2 and the xbox hmm, and never played it. It, the you were talking about you know putting people's heads in in doors and shit but i mean dude this game the shooting was okay but it was the first game i've ever seen where you could like hang somebody over the top of a shark cage and watch a shark t- tear their head off <laughs> you could put them in molten chrome you could take them to a mammoth in a museum and slowly shove their face onto a mammoth tusk oh and it was, it was, and, and that was the big deal. It was so bad that in some places it was censored. And it was, but to me, it was, it actually was backed up a little bit by some pretty okay gun, gun shooting and, you know, overall combat. But it was just enjoyable in that over the top, you know, sleeping dogs way where it's like that each attack takes a little longer than maybe you sort of think it should because it's drawn out to like really make you go, that guy's head's inside of that air conditioner. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at gameplay right now. The way the text pops up is almost like comic book-esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I was really a fan of Punisher. And I know I know it's not considered by any means a classic, but to me it's sort of oh, one of those slamming his types. head into, a, into like a display case. Dude, it's, and it's crazy. I think in Europe they didn't show the damage, if, if I remember right, in censoring. And in America they did, or one of the two. There was, there was definitely enough that people were like, okay, we got to... Like we got to censor this, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but oh my, he, he's like a rack of knives hanging from the ceiling right now, and this guy's like on the table on his back. He's like interrogating him. Is that part of the game? You interrogate? Yep, yep. you interrogate, dude. It's oh, you, trust me, that's the thing. So every every person you get, that's what it is: is interrogation to find more data. So you have to find data about what's going on in the level by from the people you kill. And so, like, you'll grab the guy over the shark. You'll be in, like, a, an, you know, an aquarium, whatever. You've got a guy, and you've got his head over the shark cage, and you keep lowering him a little bit and then bringing him out and lowering him a little bit and bringing him out. And 
I mean, one of my friends actually was like, Carrick, you know, you need to stop because this is actually disturbing me a little bit because I just got glee from that shit. I was just like, <laughs> this is the great. And I mean, Cadiz was there, too. And he was like, guys, my God, you got just kill him. Because I was like, nah, <laughs> just like barely leaning him over. And then the shark came and, and tore his head off. So oh, wait, oh, wait, I think I just got to that part. Hold on. He's, he's dangling him over the water. Oh, there's a the shark. Yep. He just yep. ate him. Oh, Dude, I'm man. telling you, it's insane. He says, it, it's well, That's it's, amazing. Yeah. It's well worth, it is well worth like the seven fucking dollars that game is going to cost you. That is great. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not right now, you should be checking out some gameplay of this if you own a PS2. That, oh man. And Xbox original, I believe. Yeah. That's fucking great. I I mean, I love the, uh, the comic book style of things. Um, that's very different. Kind of reminds me of Max Payne in a way. It does. It does. It's got got that feeling. Huh. Wow. Good share. It's definitely definitely a good one uh for me what else do i have on my list here um here's one uh have you ever played the jedi knight jedi academy game oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah that is one that's because uh, you know the focus especially with us kotor um as well as for a lot of other gamers battlefront and uh, republic commando but here's the thing is that jedi knight uh i don't know if it was jedi knight 2 or not but um one of them, if not both, I can't remember, has a really awesome multiplayer. And uh, a... That is Jedi Knight. It's the second one, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I was going to say, I figured. Um, and I think the second one has a very dedicated fan base that still plays. Still modding it, too. Yeah. And it is just, it is awesome to watch because they are some of the most intense lightsaber fights that you see in, yep. like, uh episode three you know lots of flips lots of just flinging around the lightsaber uh limbs coming off and stuff and i i appreciate that game so much because at the time what i always look for in star wars um that i don't as much now because i just it's it's arguably my favorite franchise of any out there um but what i looked for as a kid was i liked star wars but i liked a more mature take on star wars and that's where i found knights of the republic that's why it became my favorite game of all time amongst many other reasons but Jedi Knight Jedi Out, uh, Academy sorry, was one that stuck out because of the fact that, you know, limbs would come off during combat. That's the first thing that happened. I was like, oh, man, like, this is another level of Star Wars game. And, uh, you know, there was the choice at the end of a, a good or bad uh, Jedi, um, or sorry, light or dark side, as well as, um, you know, a different type of platforming that you could do because you could uh, unlock, like, a Jedi jump that would let you float longer distances to unlock secret areas, Mm-hmm. And um, you could also still not just play, like, with a, the lightsaber and cut people's limbs off, but you could also just use your, your guns. And each gun had, like, a, a primary and alternate fire, which you could draw a relationship to from, like, Resistance 3 in a way, where, like, the guns played two completely different ways based off the the way you, you played the game and how you used the alt and normal yeah. fire. And uh, that that's one game that I think amongst the Star Wars catalog doesn't get enough attention along with the some the lines of like empire at war that's another one oh that is, uh, my one. god i forgot all about that game holy shit you just brought back some memories yeah <laughs> yeah that game is that game is actually really good and i just i think it just didn't speak to people like i thought it was going to but yeah. for me i really liked it yeah but um jedi knight jedi academy that's definitely one I like how the second one picks up, but the levels in the second one can be pretty annoying. Uh, mm. I mean, I could go through a bunch. I could make literally a fucking, like, 
20 minute video on every underrated star Wars game and why someone needs to play it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, um I think with Star Wars games, too, uh, you know, there's been a couple shitty ones, obviously. Right. Like, but yeah. um, I think that in, in depending on the developer, you know, they've they've done well with the IP over time. And you have what's really cool about Star Wars, unlike Star Trek, which has very few good games with, with Star Wars. What's crazy to me is it, it doesn't matter the genre. There's some really good games in almost every genre they've attempted, which I think is is really actually pretty cool. It's like you've got your third person you know, f- fighting game. You've got a shooter. You got Rogue Squadron, right? It's called Rogue Squadron, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the four, uh, the, the four Rogue Troopers, Rogue Trooper or Trooper Commando, Rogue. Oh, Republic Commando. Republic Commando. Oh. Fucking a. <laughs> no, I thought you were talking about uh, Jedi Starfighter for a sec when you said yeah. Rogue Squadron. Yeah, no, sorry. So you've got that, which is a first-person shooter. You've got you know the the one you just spoke of, which is an RTS, and I I think they're sort of. There's sort of something to say about the strength of like uh, people caring about that IP. I mean, it's like any any genre. There's one or two bad ones, but yeah. and then I have one that uh, so no one's gonna care because this game was sort of panned. It's from Rocksteady, and it's called Ooh. Urban Chaos Riot Response. And mm. and this game we're talking averaging sevens. It's got a six. I'm looking at it. Eight point five from GameZone. Is Xbox One, I mean, Xbox Original and PS2. And basically what it is, is you are a special part of a unit that goes out and stops, like, rioting and stuff. You know, stops, like, but but bad guys, not now, but, you know, like, people with guns and, and crime. And one of the first things that the game gives you is a ballistic shield. And it's the first time, and it's, it's with you almost all the time. It's clear, and as shots hit, it, it has sound design that I just can't easily describe. It's the best sound design I think I've ever heard in a game. And when shots hit that fucking thing, it it sounds like shots hitting a riot response shield. Like it wow. is. And and in it, when you kill main guys, everything goes to slow motion. And because it's R rated as a game, you have guys who are like on fire, flying out of a building going, fuck you. <laughs> and it's just it's so over the top. You have like stun guns that can burn people if you hold the stun gun on too long. That's and funny. Yeah, it is. If anybody has a chance, super cheap game. It reminds and, me of uh, the game. Uh, have you heard of the game? I think it's just called SWAT. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. original SWAT, one through four, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't played it. I was reading on Twitter. Danny O'Dwyer, he was tweeting about it and how, like, he's like, these games are so good, but I don't think they'd be allowed nowadays because of how just scary real they are. I think, like, you know, you play SWAT troopers who are dismantling, like, terror attacks across yeah. the globe and. And, you know, it's very uh, much like a almost insurgency, like that type of hardcore shooter in a way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. uh, They're very good games, though. Yeah, I was going to say, I've heard they're they're really good games. And so it's had me curious. And and just the way you were describing that one, Urban Control or whatever it was called. It's called Chaos Urban Response. And and it's Rocksteady, you know. That's the thing, yeah. For good games. Yeah, they're they're the Batman guys, so that, <laughs> yeah, that's that's something different. Maybe that's where they got some of their darker storytelling from. Oh, dude, it's and it's insane. So basically, I'm just reading. It says gang members are armed with cleavers, Molotov bombs, firearms. They're attacking civilians, paramedics, firefighters, and police officers. And it's up to you to stop him and uh, to stop them. And um, it is just it's one of those games that came out of nowhere. Like I I remember getting it on the Xbox and I turned it on. I was like, you know, we'll we'll see how this goes. And I get that there were some issues with it but as a shooter and just crazy over the topness it's it's fucking awesome yeah i'm looking at gameplay right now this looks pretty smooth 
like you know just yeah i expected something a little clunkier was this this is late was this late released in the day that's gen? late yeah that was that was middle to late xbox original yeah i was gonna say just because the, it, it looks awfully smooth for and it's it rock plays. steady using havoc it's the havoc engine yeah. so they they probably pretty much knew what they were doing but i'm telling you the, the, like the goofy side uses of the guns and the way the game played out um, it's funny cause I'll mention it in a comment on YouTube and I'll get like a hundred people respond and just be like, Oh my God, I remember that game. It's just one yeah. of those ones where you forget about it unless somebody mentions it. Oh, wow. That's actually really cool. He, uh, he, he shocks someone with the stun gun and they drop their Molotov and it set him on fire. You know, that's just, yeah. it's something that's like dynamic. He just threw a cleaver, you know, that type of dynamic stuff was ahead of its time. You know, we expect that in games nowadays, but, uh, back then. You know that was that was a rare breed. Almost. Yeah, it was sort of sort of uh, ahead of its time, and in just some of the ways it did things. Oh, man, this is this looks great. You're making some awesome suggestions. These are these are games I actually want to try. Punisher and this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would if I were you. Like those, they're games that it, it, like for streaming as a joke on the Patreon or whatever. Like Urban Response would be hilarious. Well, Punisher would be hilarious. Like have people vote on <laughs> what you know what to do to people. It's just <laughs> there is some crazy stuff that happens in those games. It sounds pretty wild for me. My next suggestion on the other side of the spectrum of things, uh, I, I've talked about it on the podcast a lot where it might be familiar to some of our listeners, but I think on the overall spectrum of gaming, it's a series that doesn't get enough attention. Uh, and I've told you about this. We, we plan on doing a video series about it. I think you know where I'm going with it. Uh, Danganronpa. This is a, this is a franchise, man, that has become easily one of my, my favorites uh, in the past five years. For sure, you know it's it's definitely in like my top five. Um, it's just very different, and mm-hmm. it's very well thought out. It's mature. It's just some of the strongest writing you could experience in a game. Uh, what it is is um, you have one and two, then you have a spinoff, and then there's also the anime, which uh, adds to the story and, and connects it to the upcoming third one coming out this year. So there's there's a lot of catching up for people who want to get involved to do. But I, I mean, I've seen viewers of mine tweet at me for example, who have clearly said, I don't like Japanese games, and have been like, this is something else. Um, hmm. Because it, it's a different style of game, where it's more of a graphic novel, if anything, um, where it's a lot of reading, a lot of voice acting. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, because the strong writing really lends itself to the game, where, you know, the hours fly by, and, um, you know, it's about solving mysteries. So what happens is... Uh, I'll just give a, a basic plot of the first one is, you know, you're a group of the sol- uh, the super ultimate fill-in-the-blank student. So you could be the super ultimate uh, lucky student, super ultimate swimmer, super ultimate uh-huh. whatever. Uh, and obviously each of these people are special and they go to this school to hone their ability to, you know, further when they get out of that school, the economy, the world in general, gotcha. keep things rolling. And you get inside the school I don't want to spoil anything, but essentially what happens is the school is on lockdown. It's just you and 13 other students, and the only way to get out is to kill each other. So now there's this this seed of distrust planted, and they're like, well, let's just not kill each other. <laughs> and um, yeah, like I said, I'm telling a very vague idea of it, because when you're playing it, it all makes sense. But then there's like motives planted to kill one another, and, and obviously someone dies. And uh, you know that keeps happening. And... It's like it's one of those games where I have to admit, like while I'm playing, and I'm thinking, like, why don't they just not kill each other, and then you can solve the problem here? 
but there's always that motive planted where someone needs to, to get out, and the game explains it so well. And uh, it, it's that almost persona tug of war where you're like, right. I want to get to know this character, but when you get to know the wrong person, they end up being a killer, and you're like, you're not who I thought you were. Or you get to know someone that you really like, and they die. So it's got that hmm. gameplay loop to it, which is really a heart crusher. On top of like solving mysteries in an Ace Attorney style way, where um, you're, you're compiling evidence, mm-hmm. uh, pointing fingers, maybe you know you, you accuse the wrong person. Um, there's no like branching story paths, so don't get me wrong. That would be very interesting for that game, though. I, I always hope that they did that. But it, like I said, it's very different. Um, don't get me wrong, it's very Japanese, so I know people out there who don't like Japanese-style games probably won't appreciate Danganronpa, but, um, it's, it's a lot like how I feel when I play Persona 4, where, and, and 3, uh, just Persona in general, where it's that series that when I pick up, I don't want it to end, because it's so right. good. It's, it's so engaging in so many different levels through its gameplay, its story, uh, the music, the voice acting, it's just a complete experience. And it's one that I can't recommend enough. It's not just a Vita game. It's, you know, it's obvious its popularity is growing because now it's on PC, then it's yeah. on PS4 now. Um, and then the the new uh, Danganronpa V3 is coming to PS4 and PC as well as the Vita. So it's obvious more and more people are playing this series. What, um, what uh, got you into it? Yeah, that's a good question. I... I have a natural curiosity. I think that's why I fell in love with like JRPGs is because I have that natural curiosity. I'll see something and go, that looks odd, but I don't want to run away from it. I become curious. I want to look into it. I want to play it. So I am a, uh, I've followed Colin Moriarty who formerly a kind of funny now doing his own thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I followed him for years and I value his opinion a lot. He, he has a similar taste in games as I do. And he just kept casually at times bringing up Danganronpa, how he's looking forward to it. And then he reviewed it. He gave it an 8.5, the first one, I think. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, that sounds good enough where uh, I, I can try this. This is back when I think the, the media was a lot more of a, a trustworthy source, um, especially, like I said, from him. He was one I really admired and still follow to this day. Um, but I, I tried it out, and um, I, w- I was absolutely in love with it because I was just curious about it. I was like, you know, I don't know much about this. I hear that, you know, people you could really like in a game can die. And I, I always like that. Like you said, Quentin Tarantino kind of vibe to my games where like, you don't know who can die. And and much like you mentioned earlier, I mean, this game isn't afraid to kill characters that you love. It's not like they just cop out and take out like the pointless characters. Um, There's only one point they really do that. And that's in the like first episode of the anime in the uh, hope arc, I think it was called, but you know, it's just, yeah, that's how I got into that franchise. And the same could be said for Persona and a lot of my favorite franchises. I, I just, that's how I've always um, found something I liked or success is I've always experimented. You know, I've always seen something and been like, why not? You know, and I, I, so I dive mm-hmm. right into it. And that's how I found Danganronpa. Just, I, I heard it a couple times in passing. Uh, he made a review and I was I decided to pick it up. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that's what's cool is like somebody randomly you know, we'll mention something, especially like you said, it was casual mentions and pretty soon there's enough casual mentions to you're like, I wonder, you know, if this is worth picking up and then you go do and you sort of find like in many ways, I've found that those are where the surprises really do hit. uh, That's the beauty of Twitter is that um, while it has some negatives, you'll see a lot of people just talking up a game saying why it's so good. 
and you'll say, you know what, I want to try this out, and you'll pick it up just based off word of mouth. You won't see anything. You just you can see anything gameplay wise, right? And uh, you know, it'll turn out to be something you really enjoy. Uh, that's how it was with For Honor. I, I wasn't gonna buy it. I know you don't like it, but I wasn't gonna buy it. I saw a lot of people really enjoying it, and I thought, you know what, I was curious about it. Let's try, it. and I ended up liking it a lot. I think with For Honor, I'm more ambivalent. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not necessarily a dislike or a like. It's just. And what's funny is this is that's something that I used to talk about. I, I worked at a place with a lot of historians, and we would talk for hours about what if the samurai ended up meeting Vikings? Like, mm-hmm. who would win? Who would win? And we would talk for hours about you know different technologies and, and different abilities. And for some reason, yeah, that one didn't hit. But all of this talking has reminded me of one title that I have to I have to mention. And I well, I don't even know if this is a hidden. Have you heard of Freelancer? Chris no. Roberts, the guy who's making Star Citizen. So no. Freelancer is an open galaxy style game. Basically, um, you're a spaceship owner. There's, you know, 50, 60 spaceships you can own. And you go about doing different jobs all the while, you know, furthering the main story. And then the reason why, to me, I think it's it's a personal gem. Number one, huge still grow, still occurring mod community, almost like the Star Wars game you mentioned. Okay. And then additionally... Um, that the mods have increased the graphics, have like turned, you know, increased the textures, added starships. So, like, I have a mod. Um, it's called I have Crossfire and Discovery, and I think they add like eighty to one hundred and fifty new ships that you can buy wow. as you game. And then there's like, you know, I can't remember how many planets. Probably eighty to a hundred planets that you can mm-hmm. go to. And it's one of those games where like you buy fucking water from one planet and deliver it somewhere else, but it's got a living economy that changes. And cool. I, I, it's just absolutely what I think I'm hoping Star Citizen explodes on um, because it's the same designer. In fact, most people who backed Star Citizen originally were old freelancer fans uh, when that oh. when that first came out. So to me, and it was the only game I've ever seen that uses a 90210 original series actor for the voice actor. <laughs> St- Ian Zerling, guy played Steve, tall, blonde guy. He, he did the voiceover and he actually did a really good job as uh, as the main protagonist so cool. yeah fucking love that game you have any more i i was just thinking i have a couple more but i was just thinking of um it's just a random thought when you're talking about how like oh what if the vikings won what was that tv show deadliest warrior there it is yeah yeah couldn't think yeah. of it for the life got of every me. episode on, on my I computer used to watch that show so much as a kid <laughs> what would happen if a navy seal went up against a samurai yeah. well the samurai would explode from yeah. the c4 you know? <laughs> let's analyze their their arsenal we got frag grenades here and then we got shuriken <laughs> it's <laughs> like you got a walmart ninja star versus a fucking <laughs> explosive that would blow a goddamn semi-trailer in half and they're like who would win <laughs> well i'm telling you we pretty much know right away yeah. <laughs> um another hidden gem i wanted to recommend um i wouldn't really call it hidden it's just a series that i think has been long forgotten is uh ninja gaiden oh god yeah uh, you know that's that's one that's really uh, I mean, it's just gone downhill because it no has. one really liked three, and and then they did Yaiba Ninja Gaiden Z or mm-hmm. whatever, and that was bad too. Apparently, I never played that one, but I mean, I don't know why. It, it brings up the question of why certain formulas work, and developers decide to change them right. when they are working. You know, Ninja Gaiden was a formula working, and then three. Uh, I didn't even play it. I just saw it was getting, uh, ironically, threes across the board. And so I was like, I'm not going to touch that game. 
but it makes you wonder what they change from a game that one and two critically acclaimed. What do you do to three and then Yaiba to bring such a drastic change to a series that you know had masterful difficulty but awesome fast paced action? I just don't. I mean, maybe it was the technology stuff, you know, like when talking to developers, a lot of times they'll say stuff like, you know, when you get more powerful technology, it can also be difficult because mm. you have, you know, feature creep and 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 different, you know, uh, different things are brought up and, and times and, and resources are wasted or people go from 2D to 3D, right? Or from 2D to pseudo 3D, which is, you know, 2.5D, whatever you want to call it. And so... I don't know. For that game, it surprises me because aren't they? They're they're the Neo developers. Yeah. That, dude, so how is it that you can't that do? Back. Yeah, exactly. So how is it that you can't do your own fucking series, but you turn around and get a series like that, and you do it, and and you make an excellent game? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Metacritic now. I don't really trust Metacritic only for the sense that uh, you know, right now the first two reviews I see under user are ten out of tens. Yeah. Um, when Ryu isn't running his mouth, he's cutting shit up, and it's glorious coming off working on reviews of multiple Japanese RPGs. Ninja Gaiden 3 is a well-deserved bloody vacation. But, I mean, poor camera, tacked on QTEs, the laughable story. It takes itself far too seriously. Uh, oh. Origins of a fast, new, exciting system buried underneath all the mess... The gorgeous animations and zippy takedowns provide an immediate buzz, yet its problems vastly outweigh the positives. And it's hard to come away feeling anything other than disappointed. This is supposed to be a bold new beginning for the series, but ultimately 3 feels like a false start. <laughs> it's uh-huh. hilarious is that, yeah, it's a bold new beginning, but yet uh, they dropped it right after one failure. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it is weird that you see that developer turning around, and, and, and sometimes it could be a freshness, you know, is it where the developers just aren't feeling that game world anymore? Are they not feeling you know are they not motivated to make to make that because you do have to have some passion and you know maybe with neo they were like hey uh, this this is is what we want to do versus the the ninja gaidens which were awesome and then weren't you know it was this one had multiplayer too i think in a co-op which one was it black three three because ninja gaiden black so was And that was it's just one of Xbox. the most. It was original. Yeah, yeah, that that just I don't know what it was about it. I think that was like just the Dark Souls as a kid, where it was one yeah. of the most memorable game intros I've ever had. I I don't know why. Just that beginning part where you're playing as Ryu, you're a ninja, and uh, scaling your way to the top and getting to the guy with the nunchucks, and you know, just a tough boss fight, and, and just like each boss, like I said, it, it was just like fucking dark souls when i was a kid you know it, it was that yeah. grilling level more so because as a kid you know i, I wasn't as good as, vi- as video at video games at the time where i was dying a lot more you know my reflexes right. weren't exactly on point um but yeah i just i i value that type of game so much more now but sometimes this that's why neo was so refreshing is because like dark souls 3 felt very samey to me as a series oh, okay. fan mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, you know, like, if, and we've talked about this before, if you're a newcomer to Dark Souls 3, is awesome. But I feel like if you played a lot of Souls before, um, and you're looking for something a little more f- refreshing, that's not where to go. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, that, and that's, a, that, well, of course, one of the difficulties with reviewing is, like, 
you know, where do you skew? Do you skew with the new person or the the person who is returning to this seat? I mean, if if the number is two, two or more, then you sort of have to look at at the people who went there for the original because they obviously, you know, bought it uh, like the original enough to to purchase or to uh, to um, get the money for the second one. But it is weird sometimes trying to figure out like who do you who do you sort of care about the new person. Or, or the person who, you know, just wants the same, or or wants the same plus more. I mean, that's another thing. We I can't remember much about the ninja games and if they added more and more. I mean, I'd I'd be interested in going back and looking to see if if it was indeed like world creep, you know, where you just have worlds getting bigger and bigger, and then that instead of truncated level design like Skyrim, for example, where there's something every five feet you get something a little bit more like Zelda, but maybe the payoff wasn't as good. And so mm. people just felt like it was all journey, like arduous, just journey. And that's it. And that can burn people out. Sounds like Andromeda in a way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just I, a I lot. Mean, like as I travel, it's like new objective, new objective, new objective. It's like, fuck, relax. <laughs> you know, like yeah. good, good amount of quality con- or a good amount of content. But geez, man, like each time you touch down on a planet, it's like six new quests. It's right. fucking overwhelming. Uh, I have one last go for it. Uh, hidden gem, and then we can talk about backlogs a little bit. Yeah, go for it. Uh, for me, Dust Elysian Tale. Wait, what? What's it called? Dust and Elysian Tale. Oh, okay. Thank you. We were just I, talking about this a couple days ago, and I could not remember the name. I love this game, dude. It is, for those who don't know, it was uh, revealed a couple of years back on the Xbox Live Arcade. Yeah. Yeah. And that was back when that was like Microsoft's fucking summer slammer, man. They do like <laughs> dust. They did uh, D- State of Decay through that, which we also Castle. love. Was it Castle Crashers? Yeah, Castle Crashers was one too. Um, I actually never played Castle Crashers. Oh. But yeah, I, apparently it's amazing. <laughs> but uh, for me, Dust Elysian Tale, um, that was at a point in time where um, right now in the industry, you know, we're. I think there's a lot more pro indie than there was back then. Yeah, right. Where uh, now, or back then, you saw a game like Dust, and it was really unique to see something with a, a real standout art style, a little more cartoony, uh, flashy animations, um, a combat system that literally never lets you touch the ground because you're constantly juggling someone or doing something crazy. Tons of enemies on screen. I mean, it is, it is such a fun game to play, but it also... Uh, Interestingly enough, it has a pretty emotional storyline that I think will surprise people who who might be there just for the fun of the gameplay, like I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just watched the gameplay video. I was like, you know, this looks like a lot of fun. I like what I see. It just seems like eye candy with some decent combos. I'll get into that. And you start playing it, and the story ramps up more as he plays this uh, amnesic rabbit almost. And, uh, you know, recovering his memories, and it becomes a darker and darker game as time goes on. Mm. And... Uh, I just I really appreciated that. Like I said, it was something different. I've played it through a couple of times, and um, yeah, just it's a and, good and game. Is there a sequel to that? No, standalone, no. one time. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it, it reminds me uh, obviously, just color wise, or Ori in the Blind Forest. Yeah, yeah. And and I love the. I'm just I'm such a. I just eat that shit up. I don't know how to describe it. Like I'm sure there's some color theory, you know person who can describe exactly why those colors work for specific people but odin sphere um 
dust and and ori there's something when you see them you're just like oh shit like that looks that looks awesome you know there's something graphically about them that just looks so amazing yeah, it's a. Uh, I think this is a good blend between the the Western and Japanese art styles in a mm-hmm. way that uh, stands out, and it's always been something that's caught my eye personally. Very cool. But anyway, on to backlogs. Oi. Just you know, backlogs in general. We'll talk about, but also what games are there. I've been. I've had this question. I've. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I'm curious what the viewers are going to say as well. Is does a backlog technically? ever end you think of it this way is it just you consciously allowing like what games are going to be on your backlog and not be there because technically you're constantly adding games there but does the backlog really end because there's always something else that you could get around to playing there's always so it's like does it really ever end and that's that's the thought that keeps stopping me in my tracks where i'm like do i just want to keep playing like every new game that comes out to make sure i'm on top of it or do i just let some of these go yeah i mean and and the fact is, is like as a reviewer, my shit's completely changed. So prior to that, I would buy, I would buy some games and, and never turn them on. And I can say that the one, there's a couple great things about being a reviewer. And one of them is that what I buy, I play. And so I don't, my backlog is actually strangely not grown much, except for a couple gifts, has not grown much in, you know, the two years I've, I've run a, a YouTube channel. So to me, though, I think that, no, they don't disappear. And I think that, unfortunately, humans like to gather baseball cards. We like to gather, uh, you know, fucking specific things. You know, yeah. there's, different, there's different people who like to collect things. And I think that there is a very real uh, tit for tat that goes on with some people where they're like, I'm going to buy it. And they know they have it, right? They're like, I, they can see it. They're like, it's in my Steam library. I know I have it. But you know they're never going to play it. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's sort of weird. I wish Steam would allow you to sell back your games <laughs> because I think a lot of people would there's a refreshing feeling when you move too. You've done this. You know, if you if you move if you even just move a room in your own house, there's this feeling of of like I am no longer shackled down by you know, that stuff that was there prior. It's like mm-hmm. all new. And I would love to be able to just be like, boom, I'm selling back, you know, the two thousand yeah. games I have on Steve Library. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that, because for me, it's like, I've had, you just mentioned Odin Sphere, I've had that since <laughs> last year, I think. Oh, gotcha. uh, Man, a, you're missing in, out, too. In June, you know, like, I've had that, I have Tales of Zestiria, because I want to mm-hmm. play that before t- playing Tales of Berseria. Um, I'm looking at my PS4 stack right now, um, you know, I, I want to play Pillars of Eternity, that's on mm-hmm. my PC, uh, gotta be Mass Effect. I just bought Token in two, kind of compulsively, which I have very rarely do compulsive purchases. But that that's one I could tackle into my hidden gems. Uh, I really like Token in. Um, it's like a, a Monster Hunter crosses Dynasty Warrior style game. Oh, and it's it's just it's kind of junk. It's a junk food game. I call it. it it's not like I'm there for the story or uh, the the gameplay. It, it's just a good time with multiplayer, and um, I, I like it a lot. But yeah, like I was saying, you know, there's that. Uh, I want to beat Persona 3 again before 5 comes out. Once 5 comes out, pretty much every game's off limits. But during the time I'm playing 5, Ukulele comes out. I wanted to play Bulletstorm. That's on my backlog. That comes out. It's like, for me, and part of it's my, uh, I love, and I'm not saying you don't, but I love games so much, I want to play them all. 
but it's like I need to have a fucking life too. <laughs> I yeah, need right. to go out. I, I you know, I want to see my friends. I want to see my family. <laughs> but there are so many great games to play. It's almost a good problem they have. But I just look at them and I I want to play all of them, especially the one that's caught my eyes for weeks is Tales of Zestiria. I want to play that so bad. But each time I start up a new game, I'm on a, I'm on a tangent right now. But each time I start up a new game, I, I like a part of me is like oh, I should really have started Owen Sphere because that is one that's been there and neglected for so fucking long. And I'd feel like such a dick if I traded that in. Not only was it a birthday gift, but also I'm trading <laughs> in a game that's really good that I never played. Are you kidding? So it's like I'm keeping it there. Uh, oh, here's another one. Xenoblade Chronicles. Oh, I got that yeah. for Christmas like three fucking years ago. <laughs> yeah, no Un- shit. i touched. That was like Wii, right? Yeah, Wii U. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. It-, it kills me on the inside. Kills me. Yeah, I mean, there. Uh, the thing about backlogs is like, uh, what I used to do is I used to have like, uh, you know, once every three weeks have a Friday where I would just turn on random games and, and just see if I liked the first five or ten minutes. This is before I was reviewing. That was pretty fun. And and I found some games. I'm going to be honest, and I can't believe I'm saying this. A lot of people are like probably going to stop watching the show. But uh, I absolutely turned out to be a huge fan of Minecraft. And it's weird because for three years, that. one of my friends was like, dude, you got to play this game. And I'm like, it's fucking digging. Like, digging. You're fucking digging. Like, that's the stupidest idea in the world. And then one of these Fridays, I experienced two of my favorite games of all time. And one of them is Minecraft, where I did not expect to like it. I'm like, I'll just turn it. I know it's trendy to shit on Minecraft, but let's be honest. Before it became a big YouTube thing, before it became a big Let's Player thing, and before it became a big kids thing, a lot of people were into Minecraft. And it was was just fun. It was good, creative fun. It was build your own world, friends jump in, have your own server modding you know i i appreciate minecraft and what it's done it, it's i use really the vibe time the the oh. htc vive works oh. now with minecraft and to be honest that's pretty fucking cool that it, it like cool. that it, it works very well so I mean, it's awesome in my opinion how how much that game is advanced and, yeah. and how it's still a thing it's I think huge that, <laughs> I, yeah, I was gonna say i think that is amazing in its own right that this game has been a popular thing for how long and it still oh, is there hasn't been a minecraft 2 exactly you know, it, exactly it's the only minecraft 2 minecraft story mode maybe you know that i guess sure but um you know give them props at least there i mean that you, you don't have to like the game but uh the way they've kept it alive it's really impressive in my opinion yeah yeah, it's very impressive. I mean, some of that's, you know, amazing fans who uh, really support it, too. But it goes to show, unfortunately, on the flip side, if you get into a Minecraft, you're going to have a huge backlog because you're playing Minecraft so much, too. Mm-hmm. So it's like... I, I struggle <laughs> to play, like, ESO, because uh, Elder Scrolls Online, that's oh, dude, lots yeah. of even... content. If you start a new character in a new new faction... Oh, it's painful, man, to even you know, think about that game. So that's why that's like one of my patron games. We'll we'll sit down and we'll we'll play that for like a day, right. and you know I get my fix there. But you know, outside of that, it, it's like you, you want to play that. But I would literally, I for at least two months, I could sit down and not play another game and just play ESO because there's so uh, many so quests. Yeah, and I think it's a good-ass game, too. So it's like... And it seemed to be safe for the Old Republic. I've been curious about it, just because it's, it's like... Fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I just... I like the Old Republic, but it's not KOTOR. That's why I'm like, fuck that. I'll, I will say this. Uh, I was totally against it. Like, I didn't like the idea of it being KOTOR 
four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever they said that one day yeah, three, in their interview. Three through nine. Oh, yeah, I'll never forget <laughs> reading those words. I was like, no. Yeah. I, I was like, okay, doctors, we're going to get in a fist fight. And um, <laughs> it took me a while to jump in, and I did. And, you know, it is an MMO, and it does have its own issues, as every game does. But it, I, it's the only MMO that I've paid for since the day I started paying. I still pay, even if I don't play it through a month. And mm-hmm. it's crazy. Like, Cadiz and I will just be like, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, let's play, let's play, you know, Old Republic. And we'll play for, like, three weeks solid. And then you sort of step away for a little bit. Same. But, but yep. it is insanely good story. It is just, it really does. Well, not all of them are good. But, but most of the stories are good. And they're huge. I mean, and let's be honest. And Matt... You and I need to discuss this on a, a video, which we have not done yet, uh, when, when we cover KOTOR. But KOTOR originally felt a bit MMO-ish as well. If you went out into the fucking grasslands of, you know, what was it, Tatooine or whatever, and killed those fucking boar, mm-hmm. it, it, it started to feel a little bit like, oh, I'm running to this area to kill this one dude who's out yeah. in the middle of nowhere. It, it, so, I mean, I get that people don't think it's KOTOR, but there, it's not necessarily like KOTOR didn't have its own feeling at times of being strangely yeah. padded with content you know yeah i mean that's the thing is you know i think part of the issue is that that comes with kotor nowadays is because of age you know back then yeah. I, I don't think games were not that they weren't analyzed as hard but it's that the game aged so well despite being i think 16 or no how 2003 came out i think a long time ago, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like 14, 15 years, something like that. Yeah, it, It's super old at this point, and it still holds up remarkably well to the point where I have trouble pinging, like pointing out flaws with it. And uh, we'll, like you said, we will have a video. Yeah, we have to. We always forget. But. Yeah, because it, it will be like a fucking hour and a half video with like, I can see it now, gameplay examples just breaking everything down about what is right about that series <clears throat> or and just by, the first one. By the way, the date of release is going to blow your mind. 2011. Whew. Yeah. So not as old as, as we thought. It just feels like a long time ago for some, I was and talking I think about that's the old Republic. You, you're talking about oh. the, the old Republic. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, gotcha. No, that's Republic, fine. That's fine. Yeah. I, I, but here's the thing though, is that the old Republic always had my attention, uh, because I was a big KOTOR fan, I mm-hmm. in, in the first game I always said I wanted to get when I got a gaming PC was SWOTOR. I right. wanted a gaming PC strictly for that game because I just wanted more of the old Republic universe. And I remember trying it. I got a friend involved. I cranked about 40 hours out just like that. It just the week went by. <laughs> it was literally like it was during the summer too. So it was literally like a work week spent on fucking KOTOR or uh, SWOTOR. <laughs> and... Um, after that, like you said, it was just like I stopped. I was like, yeah. okay, you know, I've, I've had my fill. I'm going to switch. I, I was paying for it, too, and I, I said, all right, I've played enough, and I, I haven't really gone back since. Um, part of it's because I'm more invested in ESO, and I know right. if I download SWOTOR, I cannot balance those two because I can't even play one MMO in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that's, I agree there. Like, if you, there's an MMO in your backlog, you're, mm-hmm. you're fucked. At times, do you ever miss that feeling, though, of, um, you know, I, I think we, we both love the position we're in of, of being able to review games and help people out with their purchasing decisions and just talk about games in general for a living. But do you ever at times miss the feeling of, like, I have my job and then my hobby is gaming? And gaming still is largely a hobby, but, um, you know, a lot of times, like, your job will dictate what you play. 
mm-hmm. where a, a lot of times, and more so, it's kind of a phase I've been going through lately. So don't get me wrong, but like I, I want to just go downstairs and turn on Persona 4 Arena Ultimax just to play a fighting game I haven't played in a while. Um, I'm in that Persona craze, but I do have to beat Mass Effect. And I know some, some people out there are going to be like, oh, you have to beat Mass Effect. Poor you. You know, shut the fuck up. But I, I think you'll understand more what I'm coming from where, you know, as a hobby growing up as a gamer, you, you know, you just, all right, today I want to play this. Yeah. And Yeah, and no, I mean, that, yeah, it absolutely happens. And I think that uh, to contain sanity, <laughs> it's probably required that you do that because yeah. – uh, I know people who read b- books for a living who do book reviews and they're like, dude, I have to, and I've talked to you about this off camera. Actually, I've talked to you about it a little bit in podcast, a palate cleanser. And that's what I mean when I talk about a palate cleanser game mm-hmm. is like, and, and it can be any game, but for me, many times it's just that frivolous title where you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go. For example, I play KOTOR multiple times in a year. And, and <laughs> yeah. I, I know that yeah. people think that's crazy, but there's a familiarity there. That is that is undeniable and is very comfortable. And so yeah. when I when it's I have not those, like I'm moments, not looking at this to critique. And exactly, review. it's like exactly. I'm here to enjoy and just like watching a, a not, movie again. Yeah, exactly. It's like just a game. Yeah, not that we yeah. don't just do that, but it, it's it's something different about it. Yeah, um, yeah. I just want I want to know your thoughts on that because that's what I did with Persona 4 Golden. For those who don't know, I recently finished uh, another playthrough of that game. That's a game I play a lot. Uh, I play multiple times. And it's my favorite in the series, and uh, it was one of those games that when I finished, you know, I, I didn't really have to start a new playthrough. We were driving to PAX, and I was just like, I just had a fucking moment. I was like, dude, I am so on top of, like, every release. I said, I at least owe it to myself to just kick back and, and yep. put one game on the backlog. Where usually my schedule as a gamer is, like, I'm going to play, I usually do two two to three games at a time is, is usually how I work, where... um I'll have, like, one new one, and it's, especially with nowadays, it's usually two new games I'm playing mm-hmm. and, like, one whatever game. But now I've switched it up where I'm going to try to do just, like, one new game, one backlog. Just so yeah. that I know I'm playing, you know, if the game I'm playing for review is good and I'm enjoying myself, that's awesome. That's a plus one. But if I'm if I'm not enjoying it, I still have this backlog game or this, this nostalgic game I'm playing because I, I just love it, you know. And uh, that's what I've been doing lately, and it's it's been a lot better. Also, because I realized when I play too many games, I start too many narratives. I start getting characters mixed up. I forget, I become forgetful <laughs> of certain yeah. games. You know what I'm talking about. You yeah. just you start up too many games, and you're like, who the fuck are you again? Because I I have been playing like five other games in the past month. I I need to take a breather. But I think what's good about playing a lot of games is that that makes the good ones stick out all the more is yeah. when and when they're truly memorable you know it you know for yeah. example resident evil 7 is one i know for sure is going to probably be a game i talk about during the game of the year time because i've played so many fucking games this year already and that one sticks out so well still for me yeah it's i mean it's fantastic. it's crazy when you look at like how uh, you know how people take in games because uh, a lot of people will say well how can Carrick uh, play the, this many games and you're like well it's actually not that many games usually at, as you said at most i have two and uh you know you have separated time and you have scheduling and what i do is i just make sure i schedule either other gaming or um or something away from the, the games themselves like either way works for me but if i don't i can find myself mired in that game in a way that isn't necessarily really 
um, constructive for like coming to a, a good review. It, it's sort of just like turning your wheels sometimes. Like, yeah. Like okay, I'm just, just in the, you're in the I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here, but nothing's really occurring. I'm not really gathering new data about the title. I'm just sort of, you know, moving to move. Yeah, you're not like fully engaged. You're almost just, you know, going yeah. with the flow. Yeah, and so it's better to step away. And I think that, that that's, but, but unfortunately, like, unfortunately, it's become so easy to get games, uh, whether it be Humble Bundles, blah, 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 and then also store them, Steam, you know, your online services. Sure. That, that once you get these, I've had people who tell me they have this weird backlog freeze where they'll see their backlog and just turn it off. They're like, I don't even want to look at it because it's too big. And what I do is I'm like, I'm going to chip away at that bitch. And so you know, we, I'll go back. That's how I get, though. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm like going to chip away at this. Yeah, uh, exactly. Even if I don't like the game, because then I can tell myself this is being deleted mm-hmm. and will never be reinstalled. That's the thing. I, I did install Pillars of Eternity. I had it installed for like half a year. And I, I just <laughs> I said, when I do get around to this, I will install it. But right. for now, I'm not going to let the temptation sit there. And it helps. Uh, but it like does. right now, for me, like the current palette, the current plate, rather, is <clears throat> I have... Zelda on the Switch, Token in Two is just a uh, a mindless multiplayer, Persona Three, and Mass Effect. <laughs> yeah, you know that's that's more. Fortunately, me. Zelda is not like a, a. I don't view that as a story game. That's more of for me adventure. Yeah. I, I, like I'm not, I found Zelda's world personality more compelling than uh, anything else in its its story, which I think is a good thing. Um, Token in Two, mindless multiplayer. Andromeda is the one I'm most engaged in, and Persona 3 I'm also engaged in. So really, I'm playing two games that uh, you engage in, but you don't require that, like, uh, what I'd use as an example is that Mass Effect level where I'm, like, leaned into the screen. I'm yeah. absorbing all the data that's coming my way, you know, all the conversation, all the options, reading the codex. Um, whereas in Zelda, it's like, you know, okay, I'm just running around, um, you know, oh, a shrine. That's when you get more engaged to do the puzzle. But you get what I'm saying, that... Uh, yeah. You know that that's like one of the few times I'm probably able to juggle four games because two of them don't require much thought. It's just about playing, which I I've, I've enjoyed. That's why I like Zelda a lot. But yeah, Zelda's a pick up and play <clears throat> title too. I think. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's on a, it's on a system that's designed for that. Yeah, know, for the pick up and play. Yeah, and so it feels you know it just feels different than some of these others where, like you said. Well, well, and this happens to me. I'll come back to a game and I'll, and like you said, it's like you know who are you and what's this quest again or. Yeah. The worst thing for me is returning to a game where difficulty is super high, but I have not been playing. And I'll go into it and I'll load up a level and it'll be like level 18 and I'll be all, no problem. I want to reap, I, I, you know, I want to jump back into this title and damn fucking just get gutter yeah. sniped and just get your ass kicked. And you're like, my body's made of handles and this dude just dribbled me around the room. <laughs> like, what the fuck happened? And for example, Neo, or for example, Neo, I just recently returned. Holy shit! Oh no! I yeah. just got smoked. It was like it was. It was like they were <laughs> laughing at me. It was like, yeah, yeah. this is not going to work. <laughs> so yeah, that's, it, that's how I was with Zelda. I, I hadn't played it for a while. I returned to it for a little bit. I was on one of the Guardian boss fights. I was like, okay, like if I just get my feet wet, I'll be able to get this. But for now, like I was just getting destroyed because the, there's so many fucking controls in Zelda, and you, you just can't pick up and play that game in the position I'm in. So I, I have to like get back into the swing of things. Yeah, when I do play it. But I'm glad I'm not the only one who like at times I'll play so many games at once I'll become forgetful of certain characters and in stories and shit. Nope, it it's happens. Worst feeling. Worst. It feeling. happens. I mean, and I think for reviewers, that's like. You know, uh, usually that's when, you know, it rarely happens with a review because usually I'm focusing on those. 
But what will happen is when I have downtime and it's like, you know, somebody comes over for the weekend, we decide to play that. And then I'm playing something on the, you know, weeknights with Cadiz or something. And, and pretty soon I feel that they're not as enjoyable when that happens. Like I start to lose enjoyment when I can't remember that stuff. It's it. And, yeah, and I actually dislike that's how that. I've been. That's how yeah. I've been. Yeah, I was I was talking about Horizon last night. And uh, you remember the guy, um, I, I, the, uh, the one who would like contact you over the comms all the time, uh, Silence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I was talking about Horizon the other night, and I remembered, like, Aloy, of course, Aaron, um, uh, Avad, you know, I remember all these key characters. I'm like, who's the fucking guy who's, like, this crucial part who's of the story? Who's talking to me? <laughs> yeah, who's constantly talking to me. And part of it is, like, I don't blame myself for forgetting, because you don't find out his name for so long. Right. But on the other hand, it's like, I, I hate that I forgot that, because, you know, it- it's because you're playing so many games. that That's why, for example, Resident Evil 7, I, I like so much, especially in the long run, because... All those characters stuck with me in a unique way, and I can recall it so well. I mean, part of it is because I played the fucking game almost four times over. I think, uh, that, I, uh, I think Rain- that's... Uh, wait, wait, which one? Resident uh, Evil 7? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, not, so, not four times, three times. Yeah, No, for me it was three. I was about to start a fourth. I was like, uh... It's insane. To... Yeah, Dude, and I it's... think that's why that replaying... It's like rereading a book or, you know, mm-hmm. going over your research paper. It, it makes the biggest difference when you play a second time. Yeah, a lot more re- registers. But as a reviewer, a lot of times you don't have time for that second playthrough. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's actually it, it, that's actually one of the things. I don't know if you've ever done this, uh, and I can. I'm going to be brutally honest. I can't remember. I probably most likely it was a martial arts teacher mm-hmm. who taught me this, but I can't remember who did. But one of the things I do is um, I'll be playing games, and this has happened many times. There's so many new things, right? And a lot of games now don't understand that somebody might be new to their game or just came off another game. And so what will happen is you'll turn on a game and it'll be like, here's your map and here's your this and here's your that and here's your special Vietnam vision and here's your, you know, and there's so many different things that what happens is you may forget that you even have the ability to do something in that particular game. And so what happens with me is I'll play for a while and I can feel it. There's this weird feeling that starts to creep up where I'm like, I'm not doing well. Like I'm not, I am just... I am not functioning well in this game. And so I will usually step away for a minimum of about four to five hours. And I have found that every time I do that and I return to it, whether it be sleep and wake up or just during the day, I've been able to go, okay, like I get it. Because I, it's funny you mentioned Horizon. Horizon had that in, in the when I was playing in the game. There was a part where I was just like, I'm not getting... I think it was just fighting the creatures. I was getting killed more than I wanted to. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I was like, I'm not doing, what am I not getting? And what I was not getting was just those, just one of those things where you need to step away and you sort of retime and your brain gets, you know, some of that junk out and you get back in and suddenly, oh, oh, I, we used to call it the overnight sensation as a joke. This happened to me all the time. I'd be playing a game at night and I would suck at some point. I would go to sleep, wake up and beat it. Yeah, I would beat that level instantly. I know the feeling. Yeah, especially and, when reviewing. Yeah. I was the. Uh, yep. I, that's how I was with. Um, I want to say Halo Wars too. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I started up a level. It was a little too late. I was like, oh, I'll just squeeze out one more level because we were we were time crunching for that. Yeah. And um, I, I just I remember like I I got smoked at the end of a, a level because I I made a horrible play call and uh-huh. I was just like fuck it I'm going to bed and I went to bed woke up first thing I did that that afternoon whenever I got around to playing again was I beat that instantly. No problem. 
Like I yeah, had and it, it all it, under it's control. like your brain. It's like your brain had one fucking half off. Yeah, like it was. Like, yeah, it's and like, you'll why be am playing I stupid it. all of a sudden. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, dude, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've been playing. That's so relieving. I'm sitting and, here and, thinking, yeah. like, I'm like, I'm just losing my memory at like 21. No, <laughs> no I've had exactly. No, I've matter of fact, and I've thought, oh shit, you know, as I get older, is that an issue? And then when I play with younger people, the, the same thing will happen. Will be, for example, uh, this it all started for me in one particular game. It was called um, Beyond Good and Evil. And it's a, a platformer slash 3D action game from Ubisoft. And it is a fantastic title. But there's one particular boss. I think it's like level five or six. And I am telling you right now, I thought it was, I thought it was impossible, like, impo- like humanly impossible to beat. And what happened was I went to sleep and woke up and beat him. And it dawned on me, my brain had, had almost latched onto one particular thing which meant it was impossible for me to defeat him that way because what I was trying to do was literally attack into his invulnerability. Like it was, but I thought it was just hard. Mm. You know, I was just like, oh, it's just hard. And then I woke up the next morning and was like, well, why don't I go right instead of left? And suddenly I beat him. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, like for me, when we were talking about like just remembering characters, it was like, why do I remember, uh, we'll take for example, like Kingdom Hearts 2. That's one of my other favorite games of all times. Yeah, I remember so many of these games uh, like so well from ages ago. It's like, yeah. why do I sometimes forget a character I met a month ago? And it's like, <laughs> all right, I've played that game like fucking 40 times compared to the one time as I proceeded to move on to another game. And I think that's the biggest difference. Uh, for example, Arkham Knight, I, I, even though it had its issues, I found pretty memorable. But like Arkham City and Asylum, I remember so well because I played them both like three times. You know, oh, I see. especially Arkham City. I I did New Game, New Game Plus, and oh my god, I love that. And you game. played Origins and liked Origins too, right? Yeah, I liked Origins, but Origins that's was awesome. like a one-time playthrough, which is why, yeah, that that one, oh. that's always the one I forget. And I I like oh, Origins. That's the thing. You know, it's just a matter of how much time you invest in it. I I sometimes wonder if if one playthrough can be enough to fully fortify an opinion at times because well, I. I think it's more reflective of a normal gamer mm-hmm. because most gamers do not. Uh, they said uh, more than ninety percent of gamers don't even complete the first playthrough. Oh, so I think God, that, that kills yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. So I think that I think that you're safe in that manner. But for example, one of the things that really helps me is I uh, test on all the difficulties, and I have found that that really helps because I can go from like super hard and be all damn, like damn son. Mm-hmm. But if I start out at super hard, going down seems to be much more, I guess, advantageous to me because my skills and requirements on the hardest level go down as I go down in difficulty. And so what I've found is sometimes as I step it down, it's just, it's becoming more enjoyable, like, because my skills are at a higher level. And, uh, I've, but if I go the other way and start out at easy and then go to medium and hard, holy shit, like it usually kicks my ass because the game, the game, you know, will throw stuff at you. So uh, Silver does this on my channel. He'll when he starts a game, hardest difficulty first, and then and then he pairs down from there. Mm-hmm. And I've found my gameplay personally and my enjoyment of titles has dramatically increased by doing the same thing. Yeah. By by you know and 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 and, it, and and I memorize things easier that way. And I don't know why, but yeah, it's weird, dude. I I think that one playthrough is fine. Um, but I think that on some games, one playthrough is impossible if it's an MMO. So it's yeah. like, you know, how do you, how do you decide that? <laughs> like, yeah. do you just go to level 60 and say level cap is the, yeah, that's, the, that's always been the strange thing with reviewing titles is, is for some of these games, it's like, 
you beat it, and then there's this whole other part of the game that unlocks after you beat it. Yeah. Um, I think plus, a good example plus. is uh, Ratchet and Clank. You know, I beat it for my review. I was good to go, but then I realized it's fucking Ratchet and Clank. How's the new game plus play when right. you, you start buffing up all these weapons? Does it become a way easier game, or is it, once again, more satisfying? What happens when I hit level 10 with these weapons? How dr- uh, dramatic is the transformation? Right. That type of stuff. And so it's like, oh, God, I got to test that out too, don't I? And so um, it, it becomes uh, – you know, but then, for example, um, a multiplayer game. Um, I'll use Mass Effect Andromeda as an example. Uh, th- you know, It's very similar multiplayer to Mass Effect 3. I've played a right. lot of Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, and I put a couple of hours into Andromeda. I could safely say I have a fortified opinion on that, even though I don't have – in all honesty, a crazy amount of time into it. It's it's roughly the same of its, as its predecessor, and I love the predecessor. And then right. you know the, the other one, you you put enough time into it, you're like this is the same. So it's like it really depends on the situation with some games on how much time you put in. Um, where I think it, as long as you have enough to to fortify an opinion, uh, you know I, I sometimes don't think that the amount of hours can qualify. You know how steady your opinion is on certain things. For example. Um, like you were talking about an MMO, like if you've if you're about you hit like level twenty, you're like yeah this sucks, and like you and you make a review off of that. I, I think that's invaluable compared to if like you said yeah with an MMO it technically doesn't end. It's it's like do you hit level cap? Uh, you know you beat the the quote story for your faction. Do you start the other faction story or do you say okay I've played this story I've gotten a quality sample of the whole product. Right. Yeah, it's complicated. You gotta take it on a case by case basis, especially if it's if you're reviewing Spotor. Oh my! And, and you think you're gonna do every faction storyline? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, review, it'd oh. be impossible. You know, it's like at that point you need to start, you know, saying that story matters, but that the gameplay and mechanics are are what you're gonna review, which you could review all of them. But you know, you wouldn't have to get to level sixty to talk about the mechanics. Yeah. I think each game is different. Uh, one of the reasons why you don't see me reviewing a lot of MMOs, I'll review some, but is yeah, because you did Star Trek Online, I remember that? Yeah, it, it is because and and it, you know why? Because I played it to level sixty exactly. like eight hundred times yeah, already exactly. on the PC, so, and that's that's how I felt about like RuneScape. Like I was, people were like, "Yo, do you right. want to get back into it?" I'm like, "Dude, I've played this since I was a little kid, and it has not changed a bit. Go ahead and play. Yeah. And, you know, plus, it's free." Yeah. But yeah, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's I mean, I think with each game, it is different. Uh, you know, we talk about it with football games. You know, do you have to win the Super Bowl to say that you're ready for the review? One thing that is always funny to me is that um, how often I get people who are like, well, this game offers 100 hours of of content. Therefore, it's worth a purchase or this only offers 18 hours of fun content and therefore it's not worth a purchase. And in my Andromeda review, I actually state something along those lines where I say, you know, it, it, it can offer 60 hours, but I could flick my nuts for 60 hours and it doesn't mean I want to, right? It doesn't mean I want to. I mean, I could, I could, I could crotch myself for 60 hours, but that's not fun. And that's one of the things that comes up with video games is, is the time span. Like, is it, is a game only worth 60 if it offers 20 hours of of this particular type of fun mm-hmm. or is it only worth 60 if it offers 100 hours of this kind of fun and that's where you have such a, a, a divergence and then you have difficulty and you have skill because mm-hmm. i'll have people who tell me it took me you said you got through it in 18 hours it took me 40 you didn't complete it and i'll like dude i got 100 percent on it i'm just at this game better than you mm-hmm. where you might be better than me at another game 
uh, maybe I encountered a bug, and so my playtime is longer than yours. And it, it's it's all over the place, dude. I think that's why you do it in reviews, and I do it in reviews, and, and great reviewers do it, where what they do is they try to explain not necessarily just how they got to the score, because that's very important, but also all the little things in between. And they just try to give you a good reflection of what's going to occur. And then you can decide within yeah, that I try my best to put it in where, your hands. You know, I'll say, exactly. like, you know, here's what I suggest. But uh, I, I also, a lot of times when I'm reviewing a game, I'll always, when the case comes up, I'll specify uh, if you have to be a certain type of gamer. Um, yeah, for right. example... I, probably in my Mass Effect review, I'll say, I'll be like, it depends what type of gamer you are. For me, I value the Bioware from Origins, KOTOR, and, and you'd probably say Jade Empire for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people, respectively, uh, like the Bioware that does the Inquisitions and the Andromedas. Exactly. Say, it de- and it depends what type of gamer you are. Do you mind doing the monoliths and doing a quick puzzle, which stagnates the entire pace of the game in exchange for some pretty quality exploration? It's Wait. Like, you mean Celestial Sudoku wasn't fun for you? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the first time I fucking did one of those, uh, like, uh, you know, geography puzzles, or uh, not geography, but like geometry puzzles, whatever, the little symbols, yeah. I was like, this is fucking Sudoku or yeah, something. I, like, I just, just shook so my weird. head, too. I was just like, oh, <laughs> my God. Because on every planet, they're like, oh, this is a golden world. That means there's a vault. I'm like, you guys took a great fucking idea with some interesting lore, and you converted it into the most redundant game mechanic imaginable. Oh, dude, I said in my review, basically what you do is you take your team around and turn on the world's largest air conditioners on yeah. every planet. That's all. Yeah, that's you, that you, is. Yep. The, the that's what you do. Come out. The sky <laughs> yeah. is clear. And you ignore that humans are there. You're yeah. like or that other people are there. You're like, I'm sorry. Humans want to live here. So I'm going to turn this fucking thing on that could kill everybody here. <laughs> but I want to yeah, turn up the heat up. a little bit on that ice planet. Who knows exactly, what happens to the aquatic dude, who knows life? What happened? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's that's what I love about. I, I and this uh, dissonance can occur in any game. So yeah. if people think we're just dissing on Andromeda, <laughs> by no means. No. Like this is it's and in kind fact, of a thing that when you think a little too logical, you break the yeah. video game in it, and and you think about it a little too much. And that's why you and I don't usually go too far. Like I'll joke about it. But I won't like hold that against the game yeah. unless the story is just overall bad or or you have big logical you know problems. So, but yeah, it is funny, dude. Uh, like when I was playing, I liked a lot of parts of of Andromeda for the sheer just like laugh out loudness of it, where I was like, <laughs> "What are we? What the fuck are we doing?" You know. Also, also, have you landed on the new aliens planet? New alien, uh, the Angara. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um. Well, and you wouldn't even have to have done that. I don't know why I asked it. But um, did you notice some similarities between KOTOR's um, lawyer? Co- uh, there, yeah, the lawyer um, quest on Manan and the quest for the murderer on um, the Citadel. The, the, oh. the, where you, I oh. was a little bit bothered by that, to be brutally honest. You know something? I was a little bit bothered. Yeah, you know something? Yeah, it's a little bit similar to that. It's it's the uh, only thing that what what detracts me from that, and this happened when you brought up the star map comparison is is the scanning. I'm thinking like, oh my god, this is so Batman Arkham esque, right? You know, constantly scanning shit, uh, No Man's Sky. But now that you mention it, yeah, that's oddly similar. Yeah, the other, it is. Other similarity that we were talking about was that the the vaults were a lot like the star maps. Yeah, except. The difference is that the star maps in KOTOR 1 
were designed as a uh, push the narrative forward at the end of the level you finally discover it it's almost a reward and you know it, it progresses the companion con- conversations you can have and so on whereas mm-hmm. in Andromeda it unlocks more exploration more quests so it's not like it's over at that point um and god they're so samey too a couple of different platforms maybe some terminals to fire on but yeah, um, you know, if you compare, and I, I'd like to hear what you think of this when you decide to do your review, mm-hmm. but one of the Should things I compared... Week, uh, Monday, okay. Tuesday. I compared and contrasted the differences between uh, a Zelda dungeon, a Horizon dungeon, and a Mass Effect vault. Because what's weird to me is that though the Horizon dungeons were sometimes a little bit similar, mm-hmm. um, whether it be the boss battle at the end of each one to unlock the robot, I don't know. But I actually enjoyed those more than the vaults in Andromeda. I, I There was something about doing the stuff in Horizon that I liked more, which surprised me because I'm a big fucking Bioware fan. Like, yeah. So I, I was completely expecting it to be the other way around. Have you noticed? I think what happens is I think it depends on the, the outer layer, too, is that, for example, I found mm-hmm. and still find... Horizon Zero Dawn, much more interesting to explore than anything I've seen on Mass Effect. That's not dissing Mass Effect, though, because I've had a lot of fun exploring in that game, to my surprise. I was expecting almost an Inquisition level of exploration enjoyment, where it's like, okay, I don't really give a fuck. You know, this isn't Mm -hmm. that interesting. I think uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, I have to really give them credit. They have nailed that feeling of landing on a alien planet and trying you to... You just repeated the words from my review. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and really did, just dude. trying to accommodate to that life and seeing how alien species, species that you've met in the past are, are adjusting and adapting. Yep. It's very, very cool. With very. that said, though, uh, getting back to the outer layer, the reason I mention that is because I am more... I don't want to say look past, but I, I am more willing to enjoy... The vaults, the dungeon, or the cauldrons they're called in, in Horizon, I'm willing to enjoy them more. Uh, not only because they're a side thing in comparison to Andromeda, where they're a part of the narrative and the, right. the overall mission, but it's that in Horizon, it feeds into a gameplay loop of being able to take over bigger and bigger yep. and bigger machines. Animals. And machines. I really like that a lot about that game because you start off with the small watchers. But then you could start taking over like a fucking Thunderjaw, I think, at one yeah. point, or something crazy. I, I never really went too in depth with the cauldrons. I did a few, uh, but I mean, it is it's spectacular. I think, um, especially because once again, uh, not to get on a Horizon tangent, but it's it's very foreign feeling. Where when I entered the cauldron, it was not like any other right. vault or dungeon I had explored. You know, you're seeing wires all over the place, and it's like, this isn't just your your typical rocky cave or your sci-fi futuresque kind of cave like you see in the vault in Mass Effect. This is something really different. Like, this was futuristic, but um, it, it, like I said, just the best way to describe it, it was something truly different. And yeah. I like we talked about earlier in the podcast with how samey a lot of open worlds feel. That was, I think, one of Horizon's greatest strengths is that everything felt so refreshing and new because it was such a unique universe. So that yeah. might be why when I look at their vaults, their dungeons, they seem a lot better than Mass Effect. We're in the same scheme of things. You're going underground, you're, you're getting to that final area, and you're doing something uh, to, to unlock a future gameplay mechanic, whether it's a quest or a, uh, you know, a, a thing you can take over, something along those lines. The way I yeah. describe the vaults in Mass Effect, though, is it, it's an underground Assassin's Creed tower. 
Instead yeah. of going up top on something, you're going underground to unlock something. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I guess that points to, you know, how much and how many of these open world games feed off each other. And, yeah. and as I, we started this entire thing and I was talking about how, you know, your past focus is basically your future destination. Like it's it's what you're going to look at in the future. And what happens is these developers see these other games and subconsciously or consciously, those discussions at times start to wrap around those games and it start to like interject those ideas. And, and there's a, that's why actually I, I know a couple developers, uh, including Ken Levine is one of them. Who's like, I just shelter myself when I'm working on my own stuff. So I, I don't too. get, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, you know, we're looking at a situation where it's like we're going to do open world. Hey, let's take our core ideas and let's not look at what everybody else is doing so much. And let's see if we can make so that people talk about us, you know, as the new open world. And I think Horizon has some similarities for sure with uh, with some of those other open yeah, worlds. You, but yeah, mass- you climb the tall neck. Yeah. But Andromeda feels more like it, which is weird. Yeah. It's, it's just it's so weird. What they do is instead of saying hey look at that mechanic how can we change it in our own way to to put a mask over it like for example the first forward station you discover you go okay sam what do we have here you'll be like okay uh, here is a monolith this is a golden world here is a cat base here is a outpost for this alien species uh here's this and it's like you're not necessarily doing the typical climb the tall object and and find all the locations so it does this in its own way but it like i said it's like putting a mask over something um, it, it's like, you know, having a really messy bed and just pulling the covers over real quick in a way. It, it's something along those lines, which it's like you can see through the disguise. You yeah. know what they're hiding, and, and that's what makes it feel dirty. Whereas in Horizon, um, I, I mentioned this, and it's still a gameplay technique, I'd rather call it, that I compliment very much, is that no mechanic in that game overstays its welcome, where you climb a tall neck, but you only do that five times, I counted. And, and you, you found all of them. It's not like uh, in Assassin's Creed where you, every fucking four feet there is a new thing to climb. Uh, like in, in uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag, it was overkill. But it's not even just in comparison to uh, Assassin's Creed. It's just in general. It's like I don't mind this mechanic. It can bother me a lot. But when you temper it, it's not bad. And yeah, I mean, Horizon had a tight of, leash. Um, yeah, and when it's not the center of your unlocking all the quests and all you can find it's really just the the center of finding collectibles which you don't need you can still find your side quests you can still make your way around uh so i I do that's why i i appreciate a lot more it it doesn't it's very self-aware yeah it's i mean they their their control and their overall ability to sort of leash in some of that stuff um has done has done wonders for that game because the game's not perfect Mm mm-hmm uh, in any way, shape, or form. But there, I just like the fact that it, like you said, that's actually a really good example and something I haven't said, uh, but it, I agree, which is, you know, it doesn't necessarily, each little bit doesn't overstay its welcome. And even though I, it, it's so funny because you were talking about the long necks. I think I climbed one and I beat the game. I think yeah, one. Exactly. Oh, See, it's not, you don't it's need not necessary. to. Exactly. Right. That's what I love about it. <clears throat> it's just that, the game had – I have to praise its forethought because it, it seems like no matter – okay, for example, when you first discover the city of Meridian, it, yeah, it's like right. they had the forethought of like, okay, they're going to be discovering the city. Let's say they go off the beaten track. How can we – no matter where – what angle you come from, 
how can we make it a spectacle to look at and go, yeah, holy right. shit. So, right. you know, because as I'm exploring the world, you know, the first time I appear, I, I think I was cutting through the jungles. I took a complete shortcut. I come out of the woods. I look up and I see this huge city. I'm like, oh, my God. But right. then, I, I, you know, I'm exploring the world for a side quest. And I'm coming back from another angle. Oh, my God. Again, it's like, wow, what if I came from here the first time? It's still insane. It's like that type of forethought. You know, it's just not coincidental. You know, they built no, no, the world in a, in a specific way where uh, each time you see this large structure, it's presenting yourself in this like glorious way where it's like towering over you and you can't help but just stop and appreciate it. Same thing with uh, the Spire. It's like, Jesus. it's funny you mentioned that because I think one of the reasons why I like one particular game's location so much is they do the same thing, and that's Grand Soren in Dragon's Dogma. It's a castle that you go to at Dragon's Dogma. Most of, your, most of the game is based around this castle, and it is presented in such a way that the only way to, you can see it from far off, but to get up close to it, it's sort of, you're sort of, it's sort of in a corner, mm-hmm. and you're sort of coming closer and closer to it. And it, regardless of how you get to it, it's this massive yep. thing that, like, let's say at nighttime, it's this massive thing that's going to offer you safety at night, because night's so dangerous. So. That's true. Well, I, gotta, I, I have to get going. All right. I have to shorten this cool. up. No oh, problem. my God, it's two hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. I, I was like, damn, we are fucking rolling this episode. We are. People are going to be like, what the fuck? I need Dramamine. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Hammer Radio Podcast. As always, be sure to leave your comments down below. What, uh, what hidden gems do you guys want to suggest? We're always looking to add to that list. And, of course, I'm looking to build the backlog even more. Carrick, once again, thank you for your time. This was an awesome discussion. Thank you. That was a blast. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's why we need to fucking do the co- – we need to set yeah. some fucking time aside. I, I think, it's just I we're so busy. should be the week. Yeah, next yeah, week. definitely. I mean it's it's time to like sit down and do some some KOTOR love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kick, kick loan off for a week. Just get that handled. <laughs> exactly. exactly. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll catch you in next week's episode. Peace out. Peace out.